Well, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, I'm going to have you go to Psalm 116. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Psalm, Psalms is kind of right in the middle of your Bible. Um, I'm not sure what page number it's on. If you need a Bible, there's some in the chairs. Nick, am I a little bit hot on my microphone? I sound a little bit booming, but I trust, trust you out there. Um, maybe that's what the Lord wants. Y'all ready for some good news this morning? All right, because I got some for you. Well, the Lord has some for you. Um, let me ask you a question before we get into the good news. Maybe it's to try to help us think about our own hearts just for a minute. Like, what makes you restless? I'm just going to let that kind of sit for a second. What makes you restless in life? So even this morning, as you come in, as you think about your own heart just for a little bit, like, what makes you restless? Like, what, what brings you worry and anxiety like, what's the sources of restlessness in your own heart? You know, the different sources of pain in this life. I mean, it could be financial strain, maybe loss of a job, maybe a change in a job that comes with a measure of uncertainty. It could be relational strife, maybe just broken relationships that just seem to kind of abound in your life today and just every week you kind of journey through your week. You're reminded of the just different shades of brokenness in the relationships around you. It could be ridicule or persecution, as we've seen in First Peter, as we've been studying through that. Like the, the challenge for the believer in this life is that we're going to navigate through a world that we don't belong to amidst the people that we don't belong to. And so as a result, there's going to be resistance from the world to Christ in us. So maybe you're experiencing a little bit of that in your life right now. Maybe for some of us, it's even the consequences of our own choices that cause us restlessness this morning. There's just the echo of past failure that seems to kind of surround us, much like surround sound, and it just kind of bounces off every wall that we come into, just reminding us of how, how we failed. Whatever the, whatever the form of your restlessness, and I would encourage you to consider that question more deeply throughout today and just even this week, here's the good news. God offers you and even commands you this morning to return to your rest. Return to your rest. Like in the middle of Psalm 116, if you look there with me, if you're there, you can put it up on the TV as well. In verse 7, there seems to be this, 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 this central statement that everything around it seems to support or describe. And David says, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So, the, the command, it's like the commanding invitation for you this morning is return to your rest. And the implication is that all of us, for different reasons, many of those that you just thought about maybe for a moment, those things cause us to drift away from a place of rest in God and cause us to be restless in the world or in the face of those things that bring us trial and difficulty. And the invitation, the command to you this morning is return. Return to the place where alone you can find rest for your, your weary soul. And it may be that we are restless simply because we're not taking our cares to God. So this psalm starts with this, just, it's almost like an abrupt statement. I love the Lord. I love God. I don't know about you, but I love the Lord. That's what the psalmist is almost like beckons your, yeah me, yeah, me too. Me too. I love the Lord. Like I love the Lord because he's heard my voice. And my pleas for mercy, my cries for help, like he's, he's heard 
my cries. So in those trouble spots, those moments and sources of stress, let me just ask you this question. Do you just merely think about them? Or do they cause you to call upon God? Because we can think about things all the time. Like, in fact, we, we do. We just were dominated by whether it be the sources of those stress or the things that we don't know about. And so we're constantly thinking about everything, it seems. And those things that cause you to be restless arguably are the, the greatest source of thought and mental energy you put into those areas. So the question is, what do you do with those? Like, do you just merely think about them or do they cause you to call upon the Lord? I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, my cries for help. He's inclined his ear to me, my voice, my pleas, and I will call. Some eight times in this psalm, David talks about how he's called in different ways or gives voice to the fact that he has an interaction with God where he voices his restless heart, you could say. And David's poem presupposes that he's talking to God. Now, most of us probably have relationships where you might have either the positive or the negative. Likely you have both. Like, you know when someone's a bad listener? Like, you just, like, you're engaging them in conversation, you're sharing your heart, and you just know that they're thinking about either what they're going to say to you in response, or they're not paying attention at all. They're just trying to move on to the next thing. You know that feeling, but how about when someone you go to, you know, is just going to enter in, they're going to listen to your voice. They're not just going to take in information, but they're going to seek to enter in with you, sympathize, empathize, give you good counsel. Well, the picture in the Bible is that God is the best listener, but not only that, he's got infinite resources to respond to what you bring to him. Infinite ability to shoulder your burdens. Like, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice. But not just hear it just generally, but as he hears, he comes to our aid. My pleas for mercy. This picture of inclining his ear to us is quite literally like he bows his head toward us to listen to the utterance of our voice. The God of heaven stoops low enough, as it were, to, to hear these cries of supplication and the various ways that they come as he hears them from the voice of his children. Doesn't every good parent do that? Doesn't every good father carefully consider and listen to the cries of his children, receive them, figure out if there's some way in which they need help, like how much more the father of all mercies and the God of heaven and earth and the God of his people. And when God, when we call, God hears. And because he hears, we call. That seems to be a mega theme in this passage. That when we call, God hears. And because he hears, we call. Like God's, it's almost as if to say, like God's reputation is what fuels our repetition. It's like because we know God is faithful and that he hears our voice and he's heard our cries, our pleas for mercy. Because he's inclined his ear to us so many times, it gives me the faith to consistently and persistently pursue him in inevitable moments, the endless moments it seems in this life where things cause me to be restless. But am I just thinking about him or am I truly calling upon his name as my source of help and strength? 
God's faithfulness fuels our faith in this journey. The faith that ushers us all the way into the presence of God in moments of greatest pain and need. So he goes on to say, secondly in this psalm, verse 3, that even in the worst of moments, where the, the traps, like the snares of death, encompass me, where the pains of Sheol, literally the pains of hell, like pain so great, it could only be described as the pains of hell laid a hold upon me. Anguish and distress seem to be underneath my every step. In my moments of greatest need, I call. I call upon God. I love the Lord because he's heard my voice, my pleas for mercy. He's bent his ear to me. So in my moments of greatest need, you know what my reflex is going to be? I'm going to call on his name. I'm going to call out to him. Because where else can I go? Where else can I go? I'm either going to cast him upon him or I'm going to carry him myself. That's the, the choice of every human being on the planet. Is you either cast your cares upon the Lord or you find yourself carrying them yourself. And I think we all know the result of doing the latter. I know who to call. I know where to go. I call on the name of the Lord. I call on the one who is my strength and my shield, the one who I trust in and I find help. I call on the only name that is an ever-present help in time of need. I call upon the only one who is known as the God of all comfort and the Father of all mercies. I call on the only one who is infinite in all of his ways, including his power and his strength. I call on the only one who has created me by himself and for himself. I call on the only one who knows every single moment I will live before I lived even one moment. I call on him because he knows. Not only does he know, but he hears and he cares and he carries his people. So death may encompass me, but death cannot have me when you call on the name of the Lord. The pains of hell may lay a hold of you, but they cannot possess you. They don't have any grip strength in the face of God. But I call on the name of the Lord. And those things do happen. Death does surround us. The pains of hell do seem to even at times lay a hold of us. There will always be a laundry list of things that trouble us. But as those who know the Lord, the challenge is we are, we're not just encouraged, but we're commanded to not be anxious for anything. This is a command from the heart of God to us as his people. Philippians 4.6 is one example. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious for anything. But with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. A command accompanied with a wonderful promise. Psalm 55, verse 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. How many people say amen? Come on, y'all. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. We cast our anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for us. And in that transaction, if you want to call it that, we cast our anxieties upon God because he cares for us. You know what happens? As he takes our anxiety, he gives us peace. He takes our cares and he gives us security and stability in this life. Don't be anxious for anything. You know, Jesus, in kind of a strange way, it seems to us, he's like, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Like, tomorrow is full of its own worries. Like, Today is full of its own worries, so just 
Keep your eyes on today. Keep calling on me today. Put one foot in front of the other to trust me in the moment. Call upon my name. The psalmist, we could echo his words. Like, I love the Lord. Man, I love the Lord. Why? Because he hears my voice. He has heard my voice. A pleas for mercy. He's dipped down out of heaven to hear my broken voice. Even at times where I don't know what to pray, the Spirit of God prays for me. Because pain can be that debilitating and heavy. And he gives us peace, like abiding peace, like eternal peace, right? How many of you have experienced that in this life? In moments of greatest need and pain, there is a peace that surpasses all. It doesn't make any sense. There's nothing in the situation that's changed, but yet there's an abiding sense of peace and stability that comes. Why? Because I love the Lord and he is the one that has heard my voice. Like he's, even as in the midst of my darkest pain, I say, Lord, deliver me. Deliver my soul from death. It was really interesting about this psalm. Go to verse 4. That's the, that's the call of David. He says, oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. What an earnest cry. But in verse 5, what happens is it's just like this. There's really nothing to happen. There's no evidence that there's been deliverance. It almost as if to say David just understands when he goes, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Like, my God is merciful. And how do I know this? Because I've called upon him. I've seen him answer. I've felt him and I've, I've known him to draw near to me. And some of us are restless this morning because we're not calling or casting our cares upon God. I was thinking about this this week. I had some time to get away with Haley and we went to a pastor's conference. And to my shame, I just, I'm, I find it really difficult to be still before God. Can I be real with you just for a little bit this morning? I just I have a really hard time with silence and solitude. It's difficult to just sit still before God. Some of the reasons is because I just, I, I replace my, my devotion with my doing. I just, I mean, I do things for God and somehow begin to believe that that's synonymous with devotion, which it can be, but it's not always. But to st sit still before God to lay out all the things that make me restless was so sweet for my own soul. And some of the reason I think it was, because what happens when we don't go to God with those cares, when we don't call upon him in those moments of need, you know what happens? How many of you ever had like the, the chirp of a smoke alarm in your house that you didn't deal with? You didn't deal with it right away. Like you went days, maybe even weeks. Some of you still have it now. It's been like a year and a half. Maybe it's too high. You can't get to it. But you know the chirp, it's like this beep every so often. It's annoying as all get out, right? And you can go on with life. It doesn't keep you from doing things necessarily. And that can be a little bit what, like the, the restlessness in our own hearts. It will be kind of an ever-present trouble. And you can go about doing most things. Well, what's going to happen is it's subtly going to mute, diminish the voice of God. Because you're going you're gonna to be ever mindful of this present trouble. Because you haven't taken it all the way up to God for him to carry for you, you carry it around. Maybe it's a dog barking next door to your house. It's just constantly doing it. Like you can, you can go about your business, but you're distracted from doing things well. You're thinking about something else. And I would say for me, that's what I would say about the five or six things I put on my list. Like if I'm not taking them all the way to God, they're going to be like that chirp. This 
this annoyance that at times can turn into distress. Regardless of whether David found the deliverance he cried for, what he did find was God is gracious and righteous, as God is merciful. Like in our calling, we find the deep riches of God's ways, the wonder of his works, like stability of his words to us, his promises to us. So these three words, gracious, righteous, and merciful, these all could be several sermons. The God of all grace showers undeserved favor, kindness, and forgiveness to all who call upon his name. Somebody say amen in this room. Like God of all grace. He has all the grace, and he gives it to those who call upon his name. And when I look at my situation, my circumstances, I think all of us need to hear this. Because life is difficult. Like pain is real. And one of the things that can happen is that when you don't take that very real pain and anguish and distress to God, is that chirp will turn into a distortion of the voice and the character of God. It will, be, it will begin to sound like that chirp might even be the voice of God. So you begin to look at your circumstances, this pain that you're dealing with, and you begin to think, God, where are you? Like, this can't be from you. You must have made a mistake. Because it's, it can't be that you would ever allow pain in my life of this sort. That's not to minimize the pain. But when you come into the presence of God, much like David did, so he, he comes to God in the midst of his anguish, like death surrounds him. The pains of hell lay a hold of him. Distress, anguish, that's pretty severe. He says, Lord, deliver me. And he comes into the presence of God. And what's his response? Oh, my God is gracious. And he is righteous. Everything he does is right. There's no one that can look at God, talk to God and say, this you have done wrong. Everything he does is right. And that's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. But you certainly will not possess that if you don't go all the way to him in his presence. We don't naturally look at our pain and say, this is good. It's good for me that I was afflicted. That only comes when you go all the way into the presence of God and you say, God is righteous. Everything he does, he does well. God does all things well. Praise the Lord. He works all things, right? You know the verse. We have this tattooed on our bodies. We have it on coffee cups. Like God works all things together for good, for those who love God been called according to his purpose, that ultimate good is found in being conformed to the image of Jesus. But God does all things well, and he does it all for our good, for his glory. But we can see that God is righteous when we call upon his name. When I'm tempted to feel bitter at God because it doesn't seem fair what I'm going through, I call on him and, and I'm confronted with the fact that God has been so merciful You've heard me preach this before. God's mercy is him withholding from us what we actually deserve. And when you think, just for, if you allow yourself to think just for a little bit, when you understand the, the holiness of God, and if you seek to understand just for a moment everything he's withheld from you, namely condemnation and judgment, that he gave that to Jesus instead of you, what can we say but, man, our God is merciful. Our God is merciful. Man, is, what has he withheld from me that I deserve? Mercy triumphs over judgment, doesn't it? So consider all the things that make you restless 
And how many of those things are you trying to resolve by figuring out on your own? If it's true that our restlessness is caused by not calling upon the Lord, then maybe at some level what that shows about us is we think that there's some measure of intelligence or problem solving that we possess to overcome those things that make us restless. Let me demonstrate what I mean just from this psalm. Verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous and our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. Okay, I'm going to restate that first verse. What that verse does not say is the Lord preserves those who are intelligent and know the thing to do. That's what this word is the opposite of. Simple is quite literally, you don't know what to do. You are simple-minded. You don't have the solution in your head, nor can you come up with it on your own. And who does God preserve? The simple. Praise God that he preserves the simple. For all those you don't think you're simple, you're simple. The Lord preserves, like he upholds, he guards and protects, not those who help themselves or preserve themselves, but those who are simple. So in your moments where it looks something like this, like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do. That simple utterance of I don't know can turn into, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but you do. God preserves the simple. Even in your throwing your hands up to say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't have what it takes. I'm weak and I'm frail, but you're not. You're sufficient in my weakness. Your power perfected even in my weakness. And this picture of simplicity is the posture of someone that says, Lord, preserve me, help me, guard me, because I don't know what to do. The Lord preserves the simple. And when I was brought low, he saved me. The path to rest, hear me on this, the path to rest from this psalm and other places, that path is simple and it's low. The path to rest is simple and it's low. Simple in that we must throw our hands up to trust in God alone. I don't know what to do and I need your help. Low because Humble is the path toward salvation and the path to repentance. But isn't our problem that we're steady trying to find solutions and our resources and act as if we have it all together? Jesus even said to the religious leaders who thought they had it all together, thought they had the solutions, who in their religion became proud. He, he said this to paraphrase. He said, because you think you can see, you're blind and you still have guilt. If you realized that you were blind, you wouldn't have guilt anymore. You'd be able to see. So do you think that you can see? Maybe over the years of walking with the Lord, somehow you've convinced yourself you don't have to call on him the way that you used to. Just be confronted graciously from this text. The Lord doesn't preserve the intelligent enough. The Lord doesn't preserve you if you have enough maturity to figure it out. He preserves the simple. The path to rest is simple and it's low. And in my being brought low, David says, the Lord lifted me up and he saved me. And this wonderful declaration, return, O my soul, to your rest. Here's the many reasons that you can find rest by returning to God, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. This simple statement, man, the Lord has been so good to me. The first statement kind of abruptly, man, I love the Lord. 
Do y'all love the Lord? Like, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. He's inclined his ear to me. Even in my moments of greatest pain, I cried out. You know what I found? Man, God is gracious. And he's righteous. He's merciful in everything that he does. And he preserves the simple. And when I was low, he brought me up and he saved me. Man, return, oh my soul, to your rest. You know why? Because God has been so good to you, oh my soul. And it seems to confront us with the fact that remembrance on the things that God has done promotes rest. Years ago, I went through a season of time where I had this like perpetual twitch in my eye. I just, I mean, I still get it every once in a while, but I went to the eye doctor and real simply, she diagnosed that you're either dehydrated or you're not getting enough sleep. So my eye twitch was symptomatic of lacking sleep or lacking hydration. I would submit to you that your restlessness, maybe in large measure, is symptomatic of a lack of gratitude. Like we don't take near enough time to thank God for how bountifully good he is to us. Because you've been around people. you probably experienced it in your life with the Lord. You take time to be thankful. It's a whole lot harder to be bound up and restless because of the things that are difficult. It doesn't completely make them go away. But you can think really deeply on, man, God has been so good to me. Isn't it interesting? Return, O oh my soul, to your rest. At least some of the reason is, man, because he has dealt bountifully with you. He has been so good to you. How can you not find rest given how good he has been? Even though things are difficult, remember how gracious and merciful and righteous God is and how he has been all those things to you in your life. Remembrance promotes rest, like soul rest. Do you know the Lord has been good to you? Like thinking about God's goodness, like recounting it, writing it out, like journaling it at the dinner table with your family, thinking about like how have we seen God's goodness today or in weeks past, days past, years past, writing them up, putting them in some jar somewhere that you can pull them out later and recount the, the goodness of God to you and your family or in your life personally, in your quiet times of prayer and in the public square, find rest in remembering how good God has been to you. I love the Lord because he's near to me. He's heard my voice. I'll call on the Lord because he's heard my voice and I'll acknowledge how good the Lord has been to me. And I'm gonna finish a little more quickly through the rest of this passage. In verse eight, you've delivered my soul from death. We'll get back to that deliverance spiritually, but you've delivered my soul from death and all the times where my eyes were filled with tears, you delivered my eyes from tears. And all the moments where I didn't know which step to take or where to go, you've delivered my feet from stumbling. God has been so good. So I'm going to keep walking is the response of this psalm. The psalmist, I'm going to, I'm going to keep walking with him and for him and the, the land of the living and the presence of the people of God. I'm going to keep walking with him and for him. That's going to be my response of praise. Even in my affliction, I believe and I'm going to walk with him. Even when men lie and plot against me, I'm going to believe and I'm going to walk with and for him. It seems to be present in verses 10 and 11. I believed even when I spoke in my affliction or I said in my alarm, I'm still going to believe and I'm going to walk with him. And this wonderful question in verse 12, 
We think on this just deeply with me for a second. Like what shall we render to God for all of his benefits to us? What's an appropriate response to the God of the universe who's dealt so bountifully and has been so good to us? That is a right, an infinitely right question. It doesn't mean that we have to pay God back for his grace, but there is a life given in response to the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God. So in this section, this final section of this passage, the word vow is used a couple different times. Like one of the things that we render to God for his benefits to us is we commit to living a life to please him. Notably in the presence of all his people. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know that we trumpet through life groups and just in our preaching that God has designed us to need other people. There's, there's no context in the Bible for a churchless, communityless Christian. It's foreign to the Bible. Even in the Old Testament, the vows that we make before God, this commitment, look in verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Verse 18, I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. This is a communal thing. This effort to please God with our lives. But also, verse 13, the initial reaction, like what should I give to God for all of his benefits to me? In verse 13, I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. It's kind of a little bit of a strange term. We don't think about it a little bit. But if you quite literally think about a cup, you lift it up. And you say, this is where my salvation comes from. But not only that, I'm going to keep drinking from it. I lift up this, this source of salvation that comes through Jesus at the cost of his own life, but it's free to me. I'm going to lift up that cup of salvation. I'm going to commend other people to drink as well. So keep drinking. Keep calling on the name of the Lord. He never grows tired of your voice. He never grows weary of your cries. He loves to hear your voice. Keep calling. What can I render to God? What should I render to him for all of his benefits? You keep drinking. You keep calling. Keep giving thanks. Exchange your toil for thanksgiving. Make gratitude a spiritual discipline in your life. In any way you can, keep living for him. I'm I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. And lastly, keep praising him. It ends with praise the Lord. In the courts of the people of God, in the presence of God, praise the Lord. And I'll close with this thought. If you're a Christian in this room this morning, there's one place where you find your ultimate source of rest. There's one place and one place alone. It's found in Jesus Christ. He alone is the one who provides eternal, abiding, permanent rest for the people of God. We have found permanent, eternal rest through the work of Jesus Christ. We have rested from our works. Like we've laid down all of our effort, all of our trying, all of our vain pursuits for for life and joy, or for, for love and joy and peace in this life, we've laid them down and rested in the works of Jesus. We have become low and helpless in his sight, and we've realized that our work was never and will never be enough to merit a place in the family of God. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 says, and I'll conclude with this. Hebrews chapter 4, and talking about the Sabbath rest, like Jesus is ultimately our final 
rest. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. For some of you this morning in a room this size, it's likely that for some of you, this has never been true of you. And you find yourself restless this morning, whether or not you admit it or feel it, like your restlessness this morning can be connected to ultimately that you've never found your rest in the Lord Jesus. You are still trying to work. And what God wants you to hear firstly beyond anything you might hear in this service is rest. Rest from your works. Trust in the work of Jesus. Aren't you tired? Isn't it exhausting to try to somehow make your good overcome your bad, which can never happen? Is it tiring to, to try to put on a facade of good enough in the presence of other men when you know inside you're like dead man's bones, you're dying from the inside out? Isn't it tiring to somehow try to add to or replace the finished work of Jesus, rest from your works, come to him. That's the invitation of Jesus, right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's easy, it's light, and the path is simple and it's low. Return to your rest. Family of God, I pray that we do just that. God, we, we need your help to rest in you. Uh, we are prone to wander. Uh, we, even after the miracle of rebirth, uh, we are prone to, to battle with restlessness. At times, it's because we have laid aside the rest found in you, and we've tried to find it in ourselves or in other places. So God, we, we thank you this morning that you are the one who has loosed our bonds you are the one who has set us free. You are the place of rest and that your gracious invitation and command is to return. Return, oh my soul, to your rest. For God has been so good to you. So church family, where you find yourself thinking about the things that cause you to be restless, then would you maybe just take a minute and kind of move to a place of thinking about how good God has been to you. Even now, call upon him. Ask him for the help that your soul is so desperate for, so longs for. And I pray that you wouldn't leave this place just choosing in some way to carry your own burdens, but instead to call upon him and cast them upon him because he is gracious, he is righteous, and he is merciful. And he hears, and he's able to strengthen you in your weakness. God, we bless your name. Uh, we, we love you because you hear our voice even now. We love you because you've heard our pleas for mercy. You've inclined your ear to us in our affliction, our greatest distress. We can call to you and say, Lord, deliver my soul. And we find that you are the God who is gracious and righteous and merciful. We find rest for our weary souls because you've been so good to us. Help us to walk with you. Help us to continually drink from the fountain of living waters, the Lord Jesus, the only place where salvation can be found. 
And I pray that we would rest from anything that would be considered our own personal works, knowing that rest isn't found there, it's found in you. We love you. Uh, We marvel at your grace. You've been so good to us. And that is principally found in the fact that you have, Father, you have executed your own son so that we could have life. And we look to him again this morning, reminded of his grace and his mercy toward us as your people. And I pray this last psalm would just be some small expression of our gratitude. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand together.